Today we're wrapping up this series as we've looked at the first faith dominoes that really can lead to bigger dominoes like experiencing God in our lives. And there are five dominoes or faith habits or rhythms that God can use to grow our faith and trust in Him. Now we're talking about this right now because while the pandemic has impacted all of our lives, it has also changed many of the good rhythms or habits that we had previously. Uh, along with those changes, many of us have sort of forgotten why these are important in the first place. Uh, the first one we said is that to obey God, we start with the habit of engaging with the teachings of Jesus. Because obviously knowing what Jesus taught is really the only way we can obey what he wants us to do. Uh, not because he has some sort of list that we're to follow, but because that is the way that God guides our lives and the important decisions that we make, as well as the relationships we have. Uh, with this, we encourage you to prioritize the gathering, uh, gathering with the church to watch, listen to, and engage with the teachings of Jesus, which you're doing right now by engaging with us here. Uh, then in week two, we said to engage in community, we start with the habit of being with people searching for Jesus, that God uses people around us to grow our faith in him. So to start this rhythm, we need people who are searching for Jesus around us, both to help us search for Jesus and so that we can help them search for Jesus as well. Uh, one way to do this is by getting into a life group right now. You can do that by heading to nlnc.org groups. And then in week three, we said to discover our identity, we start with rhythms involving God and our resources. Uh, we shared this quote from Pastor Jared Hurd. He said, if you have beliefs in God, but not rhythms with God, you will doubt your identity from God. And, and this is really why praying, reading the scriptures regularly, uh, connecting with the church, and, and giving and serving are important. That God uses our money and time and energy to remind us of our identity as daughters and sons of his. Uh, we shared plans to start one of those five rhythms with God. You can find those at lnc.org rhythms. And then last week we said to see God in our circumstances, we start with rhythms acknowledging God. Uh, God can use our pivotal circumstances. God can use pivotal circumstances, both negative and positive, to grow our faith. But to see God in those circumstances, we start by acknowledging him in our lives and that he is the leader of our lives. So we encourage you to start each day acknowledging him and asking him to help lead you to see him in the circumstances of your day, including the bad circumstances. Uh, each of these rhythms or habits uh, might look a little bit different right now, but they are incredibly important, especially right now, to help us to grow in our faith with God. You can head to our YouTube channel to watch any of those messages again. Uh, if you are a Jesus follower, though, uh, and we've sort of asked you maybe to record your story of, of how God sort of grew your faith, uh, many of you would talk about someone sort of telling you about an opportunity to do something. Uh, or maybe you would talk about becoming aware of a need in the community. And you just couldn't sort of get it out of your mind. And maybe you even felt like it was an internal nudge to sort of get involved. Uh, it might have been through a church. Or maybe it was through your community in some way. It was maybe through your neighborhood school a local charity, but something to serve and benefit other people. Now, you might have said, like, I didn't feel ready or equipped or prepared or really smart enough, but I just felt that maybe God was nudging me in my heart to do that, to, to get involved, to call her, to serve them, to help here. And you did that even with all those potential obstacles, and you also began to see God do amazing things in the other people, but also in your life. So today we're going to talk about that dynamic, that tension, that fear that almost all of us have. Uh, some of you maybe are right now in that struggle with God. And that struggle is not just about the people that you could help, 
the issue isn't really even about that group or this charity that needs someone to help them. That's probably a part of it. But along with that, God wants to use someone outside of your comfort zone to stretch and grow your faith. That, that God is inviting you outside of what is comfortable, outside of your skill set, outside of your experience, and outside of your normal group of people to do something for someone else. That sort of creates some tension in many of us. And many times the tension that we feel is not so much about the issue in front of us, but it's a faith issue. And now the rest of you might not feel that tension or even sort of realize or see the opportunities or needs around you. So for you, I want to talk about this so that you might begin to see and look for opportunities that God might give you to help grow your faith. That this topic of serving and loving others is important because this is something that God uses over and over and over again to grow people's faith. So a question for discussion. Have you ever sensed that God was nudging you to do something? Did you refuse that or did you do that? What was the impact of that experience on your faith? And one of the best examples of, of these sort of opportunities to serve others is also one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Uh, in the middle of this story, there's a conversation and a statement that Jesus makes to his closest followers, the disciples. Uh, and this statement will address all of us who might be challenged to get out of our comfort zone to serve God. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 if you want to follow along in the Bible app. Uh, if you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you have the app, click the more menu option in the bottom right, then events, and you can find our church. We're also going to have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So again, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Now the news that Jesus heard was that his cousin John had been put to death by Herod. Herod had arrested John and put him to death because John was using Herod's marriage to Herod's sister as a not-so-good sermon illustration. And Herod had his wife, Herod and his wife really got tired of hearing John referencing them. So they just had John arrested and they eventually had him killed. And obviously Jesus loved his cousin John, and so he goes off by himself to mourn. But the crowds heard where Jesus was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Uh, the crowds always wanted things from Jesus. So they went and found him. Like, we need this, we need that, we need, we need, we need. We want, we want, we want. Okay? Verse 14, Jesus saw the crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Uh, verse 15, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's, get, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now the crowds had walked like half a day just to find Jesus, and then they find him and he heals their sick. And Matthew sort of says that like it's no big deal, he healed their sick. Now, these people are tired, or maybe the disciples are tired and hungry themselves, but basically they tell Jesus to send those people away to get food. And this is where the story starts to intersect with our lives regarding that sort of nudge to serve others that maybe you and certainly I have felt from time to time. Verse 16, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You don't need to send them away. You feed them. Now, remember, they're out in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus says, I recognize they're hungry. I recognize there's no food around here. I recognize they need to eat, but you feed them, Jesus says. And there's the tension, right? There's this tension that, that you will face or you're already facing, um, even if you're just sort of exploring or, or starting to begin to follow Jesus. That when you sense there's a need to meet, there's this there's a ministry to start, there's an opportunity to help some people, uh, particularly that group of people that you really have some influence with, maybe even spiritual influence with. 
And you sense that nudge that possibly God could be saying, you meet that need. And your reaction might be like mine at times, and we say something like, well, I don't really meet needs. I, I sort of just pray about meeting needs. And, and this is something that I should just pray about, God. So, so God, would you please send someone to meet this need? Uh, God, I know they need a, a person for this and a person for that, but would you send them the right person for them? And God says, I want you to be that person and do it. That's why I want you to see it. And we sit there and say, no, no, I don't have the skills to do that. I'm not qualified. It would be too uncomfortable. And in that moment, you probably do the same thing I do. You think about you in that environment that you haven't been trained in. You aren't prepared for. You might get asked a tough question that you don't have answers for. Or maybe you just don't think you have time. And there are going to be times in your Christian faith journey when you're going to notice an opportunity. And God is going to say, maybe not a voice, but a nudge, that I want you to get involved and meet that need. And Jesus tells his disciples to feed the people to meet that need. And the disciples do the same thing we do. They make excuses, except they're actually in the presence of Jesus. Verse 17, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And our disciples, again, they start making excuses, and they really try to attempt to dodge the opportunity. That, that we can't do it, we aren't prepared, you got the wrong people. But again, they're in the very presence of Jesus, as we're going to see. Verse 18, bring them here, Jesus says. That Jesus says, bring the five loaves and two fish to me. Uh, to which we say, well, this is all we have. And Jesus says, bring what you have to me. We say, well, I don't have any experience. Bring me what you have. Well, we say, well, I haven't led anything before. And Jesus would say, bring me what you have. Oh, I don't know how to answer their questions. Bring me what you have. And we say, well, I, I don't have any time. And Jesus would say, bring me what you have. Oh, I'm not, a very good, uh, I'm not very good at relating to other people. And Jesus would say, well, bring me what you have. Uh, I don't understand that culture. And again, Jesus would say, bring me what you have. And so the disciples bring what they have to Jesus. Verse 19, then, the, then they, he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who distributed it to the people. And they basically have enough food to feed you and maybe one other person. Uh, they probably look at Jesus thinking, like, is there more somewhere? Like, what do we do? Like, did we miss something? Is part of the crowd gone and we weren't looking? Did they leave? What? And Jesus hands back to them what they handed to him. And then the disciples did something. They did what they knew how to do. He gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And once he handed back the bread and the fish, they did what they knew how to do. Because that is all they knew. But they didn't know how to feed that many people. They did know how to pass food to the next person. They did know, they, they did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to do something unusual or something miraculous. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus would do really what only Jesus could do. And when you feel that internal nudge to, to sign up, to fill out that thing, to, to go to that place, to check in with that person, to do the service project, to help them, to call them, to, to talk with your boss about organizing that thing, you have all the excuses in the world not to do it, but your responsibility in that moment is quite simple. Do what you can do and trust your Heavenly Father to do what only He can do. Do what you know how to do and trust that your Heavenly Father will do what only He can do. And the tension you feel is really your confidence in God or your faith muscle sort of being stretched. 
Like, what's going to happen? What are they going to think about me, my church, my family, my faith? Like, I'm just not prepared for this, so I can't. And that's God exercising and growing your faith. That is God doing something on the inside of you that's very important. And that tension isn't just about the fear and insecurity that you feel. It's way bigger than that. That your faith and the size, strength, and future of your faith is what's at stake. Uh, that the needs around you aren't, aren't not important. They are important, but they're not the only things at stake. The depth and strength of your faith is what impacts your experience and connection with your Heavenly Father. And that is a big part of what's at stake in these moments. That God is working on your faith. And your responsibility is to simply say, God, I'll do what I can do. And I will trust you to do what only you can do. So a question for discussion. What excuses have you used to excuse yourself from doing what God has nudged you to do? What opportunities do you sense God putting in your path to practice the habit of serving and loving others? Verse 19, Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About five thousand men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, did what they knew how to do, and then God showed up to do what only God could do. That Jesus didn't do this miracle because he ran out of ideas or was because he was trying to be creative or something. Jesus had a specific reason and agenda here. That Jesus knew that he was handing his whole movement over to these followers, his disciples. And Jesus knew that their faith would be very important to helping more people have a relationship with God. So he continues to sort of stretch and to grow their faith. And so once faith 101 is over, they go to faith 201, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while Jesus was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, these men are rowing across this lake with this big storm coming at them, basically. And several of these guys are fishermen, probably thinking that they can handle this. And yet, they aren't making much progress. That this is something that they are good at. This is something that they were trained for. This is something that they have experience doing. Verse 25, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward or came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They, they, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Now, now being afraid is generally something that most guys won't admit to. And yet these guys wrote this and made themselves look bad for being so afraid. Like St. Matthew, St. John, St. Peter, they're the heroes of our faith. But then you look at the way that they describe their lives and describe themselves like Matthew wrote this and he was there in the boat and he didn't make himself look good. He didn't write that the guys were sort of courageously chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like that's not what Matthew said because that isn't what happened. And there seems to be no great faith going on here. And if you're going to make this up, why would you make yourself look like a coward? Verse 27, continuing on. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And in that moment, I sort of wonder if Peter maybe had an insight that Jesus handed me that bread and slimy fish, but I knew it wasn't enough, and then sort of a miracle. And Jesus asked us to row across this lake, probably knowing that we couldn't do it. And I wonder if we can do anything that Jesus asked us to do. Like, if we do what we know we can do and somehow trust him with the results, and possibly Peter decides to test that theory. Verse 28, Then Peter called to Jesus, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. 
Now, a lot of stupid things have been done and said under the idea of, I'm going to step out and trust Jesus. But whenever Jesus invites me out of my comfort zone or asks me to do something that I don't want to or don't know how to do, Jesus can do that thing. But Peter understood that this doesn't apply to just anything, but only those times when Jesus actually invites us. And Peter's probably thinking, like, if I do this on my own, then I know I'm going to drown. But if Jesus asks or invites me to come out there, then I know I can. Verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now, it seems that Peter did the same thing that he did to help feed the 5,000. He did what he could do, and God did the rest. Like, Peter knew how to get out of a bow and walk, but that was really the end of Peter's ability in this situation. And this leads us to one of our main points for today, that when our action intersects God's ability, our faith grows. Because we start to ask questions like, will Jesus do what only Jesus can do? Can I trust that Jesus will do what he said or what he can do? And what if you prayed what, Jesus, what Peter rather said, or really kind of prayed, Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. Philip Pattison, the director of one of our partners, Foster the Bay, said this, um, It's time that we stop living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safe and comfortable at our death. Now, that's very different from being foolish, especially in, this pan in these pandemic times. But I think we can all sort of also see the irony in this statement. And yet, many of us live our lives as if our purpose is to stay in our comfort zones and arrive safe and comfortable at our deathbed by not stepping into the opportunities that God has given you to love and serve others. And for some of us, God has already shown you the opportunities. You know how powerful it would have been for you as a kid if, if an adult would have spent time investing in you. Uh, you know how crucial it is for middle school and high school students to have an adult, aka not their parents, to talk to, especially when they're stuck with their parents so much right now, that you know how an invitation to church would have changed your family growing up. And your Heavenly Father is inviting you to do what you can do, and He will do the rest. That when our action intersects God's ability, our faith can grow. Verse 30, But when He saw the strong wind and the waves, He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, He shouted. And it's kind of interesting what Peter remembers and what Peter forgets when he sees the wind and the waves. That, that Peter remembers what he couldn't do, and yet he forgets what God could do. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, this wasn't about an idea for another miracle. This was all about Jesus trying to teach these guys to trust him with things that they can't do. And Jesus says, you began looking at your ability and you forgot to trust me. You began doubting me. Now, some commentators, though, don't think Jesus is chastising Peter as much as he's saying, you almost had it. You asked the right question. Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Like, we sort of suspected it with the bread and the fish thing, but you really are the Son of God, it seems, from this situation. So, here's the question. Where is God nudging you? You might say, well, all I have is five loaves and two fish, and I don't know how to, you know, like, walk on water. And now the issue here, though, is your faith, just to be very clear, that God wants to do something in you and in your confidence in Him. So would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do? To experience God, we start with the habit of taking action. So I want to share two opportunities that God may nudge you to take action, loving and serving others. Now, there are definitely other opportunities to love and serve others, but here are two specific opportunities I want to share with you. Number one, foster kids. 
We partnered with an amazing organization, Foster the Bay, and last week I actually met with their executive director, Philip, who I mentioned earlier. And he updated me about that expected wave of foster kids entering the foster care system, in part because of the pandemic. That wave has started. Some counties have seen double the normal number of kids enter their system. Now, I know not everyone can become a foster parent, especially if you're not even an adult yet and you're watching. But you're in luck. There are other ways to love and serve foster kids. That Foster the Bay provides opportunities for people to learn about becoming foster parents, but also about becoming support friends to a foster family or becoming an advocate in our church for foster kids. The simple action that you can take is to sign up for a virtual interest meeting at fosterthebay.org RSVP. You aren't committing to anything beyond just attending that meeting. And again, this meeting is to, is to learn about everything from becoming a foster family uh, to supporting foster families to becoming an advocate with our church. So head to fosterthebay.org RSVP. Uh, number two, you can connect with students, with our students. Uh, if you don't know, every Sunday, our middle school and high school students meet on Zoom. And when they're allowed, they've done a few socially distanced activities together. Uh, to say that the pandemic has negatively impacted most students is likely preposterously understating the situation. And our goal as a student ministry is to connect students to God, to each other, and to adults who care about them. Now, that's not something that everyone can do, but would you take action today by emailing me at chris at nlnc.org? Because I'd love to have a conversation with you to see if this could be an opportunity for you to experience God by connecting with students. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear about an opportunity like this, or either one of these opportunities, you sort of immediately think like, I don't have my life together enough for myself even, let alone to take care or help foster kids. Or maybe I'm not cool enough to hang out with my nephews or nieces, so I obviously can't help with middle school or high school students. Would you be willing to do what you know how to do, which I all know you know how to click a link or send an email, and then trust God to do what only God can do? Because to experience God, we start with the habit of loving and serving people. So as we wrap up our time together today, really all of us probably fall into one of two different categories. Uh, somewhere along the way, either you are here because someone took action to help you or your family, or you're here and you wish someone would have taken action to help you or your family. Now, many of us are really here because without we wouldn't be here, rather, without other people taking action and sort of getting out of the boat to take action. Uh, some of us, uh, it might be that your home church helped you, where people loved and served on your family. Or maybe uh, someone served your family at a food pantry. Or a group of people helped you or your parents through an addiction. Or maybe it was someone taking action to invite you to church. Or it was those people who took care of you when your parents were struggling. Aren't you glad someone took action? That God put you on their heart and mind. And aren't you glad they didn't just like pray for someone else to come along and take care of that? They did what they could. They, they picked up the phone. They drove you to their house. They drove you to your game. They invited you to that lunch or to that group. And your life and maybe your faith are different because of them. So would you be willing to take that first step? Not because you're ready, but because God has asked you to feed the hungry or he's called you out of the boat to take some sort of action. And if you do, you might experience God in a brand new way. And if you don't, you will never know what God could have done if you would have just gone anyhow, in spite of what you didn't feel prepared for. To experience God, we start with the habit of loving and serving people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for the ways that it sort of shows us the, the limits to our ability. And yet you use our action, you use our willingness to love and serve others. 
and then you can do miracles with it. And so God, would you help us to have the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today? And God, would you give us the courage to actually do it? Would you help us to take the simple step of clicking a link or sending an email or, or doing something else that you're sort of nudging us towards? We ask that you'd help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.